Hey, well, we're glad you're here, either in person or online, and if you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, Revelation. We're going to be in uh, chapter 2. We're going to do each of the, the uh, seven churches uh, one by one, so we're going to be looking at these, um, well, for at least seven weeks then, right? So uh, you can uh, join along with us. There's some notes in the back if uh, that's helpful for you. Uh, this week, uh, our daughter uh, shared a story that uh, my, my grandkids, Leah and Owen, were being a little wild at the, the table, and uh, she said to them, if you guys don't settle down, you're going to choke, to which my grandson Owen said, I hope it's Leah. <laughs> now, I'm sure he got a little, like, a little lecture from mom there, but isn't that our response? When something bad's going to happen, hope it's to somebody else right? We don't, we don't wish bad on ourselves. Um, we're going to be looking through these, these churches, and the reality is there's some things in here that are corrective to churches. And so it's really easy to be thinking as we're talking about the corrective uh, issues over the next seven weeks that, oh, that applies to somebody else. Or if we think about the idea of corporate versus individual, maybe you're sitting there as we're talking about this issue and you're thinking, I sure hope so-and-so is listening. And so I, I want to remind us that we're approaching this study of revelation that allow God's word to speak to our heart and not just remind us of things that we already know. That we are trying to think about how revelation changes uh, our thoughts about the world in which we live in and how we do that. And it's supposed to be encouraging us in the midst of the evil times that we live in. And so we have said, we've looked at uh, chapter 1 over the last couple weeks, and I've tried to make a point that chapter 1 is the roots, the foundation that goes all through the book of Revelation. And as I pointed out last week, that we had this description of Jesus uh, in verses 12 and following that John pulls from in each of these churches, uh, this vision he has, and he applies them in the introduction of each of these churches. And so I'm making the assumption, and I think we're going to find this to be true, that is the, the description that John chooses for each of these churches that tells us something about how we're to deal with the issue in which the church is also dealing with. Does that make sense? That he's using part of this vision to describe how we're supposed to respond. So let's just uh, remind ourselves a little bit here uh, as we jump into this, look over back at chapter 1. I know I said chapter 2, but let me just remind you of this introduction because the introduction to each letter actually starts in verse 4. So let me just remind you from chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of all this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and blessed are those who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Now, what we've been saying is that these things apply to us today. The book of Revelation is not just a script for a bad Kirk Cameron movie, okay? It's more than that. It applies to us, and we're supposed to be reading, listening, and applying it to ourselves. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him 
who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood, by his blood, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we jump in. That's part of the introduction. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, from chapter 1, verse 13 and verse 16. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do, and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now remember this removing of this lampstand. From chapter 1, verse 20, we had the key there. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so we have this pattern uh, that, that is followed in most of the churches. Some of them uh, don't have something negative to say. Some of them don't have a correction. But for the most part, there's this introduction, this greeting that refers back to this vision of Jesus. And we talk about the strengths, right? The, the, these are the things you're doing well. And then we talk about the weaknesses, things that you're not doing well, and then there's a warning and a conclusion. And so we're just going to kind of go through this pattern for each of these churches. So this is the church in Ephesus. These are churches that are in Asia Minor. Uh, Ephesus is one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. I think it was like the third largest. It's a port town. And not only does it have a port town, but it has a highway coming through it that uh, comes, comes from the south into uh, Rome. And so it's a major thoroughfare. Um, it was a town of much idol worship and different things. Uh, Paul originally planted a church there. Uh, it is probably the most prominent, most well-known church in the New Testament. I mean, not only uh, we have this uh, goodbye statement, we're going to look at a little bit from Acts chapter 20 that uh, Paul is addressing the elders in Ephesus. We have the book of Ephesians, First uh, and Second Timothy. Uh, Timothy was in Ephesus. Right, so there's much of this early Christianity. This is probably the most prominent, most well-known church, most, the foundation, the, the mother church, in a sense. And so um, G, Jesus, or Paul says in here, uh, this quote from uh, verses 13 and 16, is the word of him who holds the seven stars. This is Jesus. Remember, the seven stars are these angels that are, that are over these churches and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so uh, the point is, um, the, the point is 
Jesus is in the midst of these churches. And he has intimate knowledge of what's going on. Look at the text a little bit. He just repeats two times. In verse 2, I know your works. Verse 3, I know you are enduring. And that, that Greek word is more of like, hey, I have a knowledge of it. It's more of an intimate knowledge, an awareness. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of more relational in, in nature. So it's not just a, hey, I know what you're doing. Right? Jesus in, is in the midst of the churches. He's here. He knows. And so in the midst of what's going on here, we, we re, we're reminded that Jesus is right in the middle of the church in Ephesus. So we look at their strengths, and there's quite a few. Um, in fact, nine different strengths that are listed. Some of them are kind of grouped together. You could put into a group, but let's look at them individually. Nine things, man, nine things that Jesus says, you're doing good. Pretty, pretty incredible. First of all, their works. So I, I know your works. Look, I know that we're saved by grace through faith, right? But we're saved to be a part of the kingdom of God, right? I, I read that this morning from the, from the introduction. He says, to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by the blood and made us what? A kingdom. Made us a kingdom of priests. To his God and Father, to him be the glory and we, we are made to be intercessors, representatives in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, in the midst of this church, he goes, I, I know how you're doing with that. I know your works, right? This is, this is a positive thing. And not only the works, but then he, he says, I know your toil. Now this is, this is the hard stuff. This is when doing the, the works, the things that God's called you to do aren't easy, which, by the way, is most of the time. I know that you continue to toil in this. And then your patient endurance. These three would be, would be tied together. Your works and your toil and your patient endurance. In the midst of all the things that are going, I know that about you. That's encouraging. Sometimes we don't feel seen. Or appreciate it. And so Jesus comes in the midst of this. In the church of Ephesus. I see you. I know what you're doing. I know you're sticking to it. Fourth. He says. And I know that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And so. The fourth thing here. Is that they don't tolerate those who are evil. Now, specifically, uh, in this is this uh, reference to this group um, in verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And can I just say that's a strong word? Um, it, it's there, right? I mean, we teach our, don't say hate. You hate those works, and I hate those works. Now, here's part of the problem. 
uh, we don't know exactly, and I'm going to say this, we don't know exactly who the Nicolaitans are, okay? Some, some, some preachers will say, this is who the Nicolaitans are, and I'll tell you who are our best thing. But there's some debate about this, and I hate to say this is who it is when we're not 100% sure because, you know, we could do some research tomorrow and somebody could come out and go, hey, we figured it out. And then, well, that's not what the preacher said. Okay, so look. Um, It seems very clear from the context here uh, that he's also speaking of the same group in chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You hate uh, some of the, um, you, excuse me, I gotta, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak uh, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. Balaam's an interesting character in the Bible. Uh, if, you, if you remember back, uh, Israel's traveling uh, through the desert, and then uh, this uh, king tries to pay Balaam to put a curse on Israel. And God won't let him do it. Um, But Balaam keeps trying to do it. And part of the reason why is Balaam wanted to get paid. And so he has financial motivation. And so Balaam eventually goes to the king and he goes, you know what will really trip up Israel? Let's send some of those media women in there to tempt them. And so part of this tie, uh, there was sexual immorality involved, um, financial uh, uh, temptations involved with probably the Nicolaitans. Uh, most people um, put the Nicolaitans with the early Gnostics uh, in the New Testament, and the Gnostics believe that they had some sort of spiritual enlightenment um, above Bible, above everything. Is, you know, we, we've got a special line, a direct knowledge, um, and the Bible's good, but that whole thing about sin and repentance, you know, uh, the body is bad, the spirit is good, and so they taught that you could just indulge in stuff in the body. Okay, So it's just bad Bible teaching, it's bad practice, all this stuff. And so here where, where Jesus says, Look, you hate him and I hate him, that's pretty strong. And one of the things that really stands out, it's one thing for you to practice evil. I don't encourage you to do that as your pastor. But it's another thing for you to encourage other people to practice evil. And so we have a group of people who are not only falling away from the Lord, but they're saying, follow me. And I just want to say that there's a movement in progressive Christianity where people are doing this today. And I wouldn't say that they would would not see themselves as Gnostics, but what they do say is, um, you know, let me tell you what the Bible really means. And, um, you know, that whole thing about sin and all that stuff that your preachers used to say, that God's not that way. And so it's very similar. This stuff still exists today. All right? So it says you don't tolerate those who are evil. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, and not only that, but you've tested some of the so-called apostles. Now, I just want to take a moment and just talk about Ephesus for a second. And um, what we see is really kind of interesting. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's getting to, towards the end of, of at least some of his freedom. Uh, he's heading into Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be arrested. Um, he knows what's before him. And so he calls the elders of Ephesus to come meet him. 
And so in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, he's addressing them. And I'm going to just pick it up in, in verse 28. He says to these elders after, you know, talking about his life and encouraging them and all different things. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, this is figurative, right? He's not talking about real wolves coming in. Right? He's talking about false teachers coming in and devouring the church. He says, therefore, uh, he says, um, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul says, look, I know that people are going to come in and devour the church. This is the early church. This is right at the beginning. And not only are some going to, to come in, try to, to lead you astray, but some of them are going to come from within the church. And so here we are in Ephesus, and what we hear is they heeded Paul's words. They tested these people. Now, this idea of the so-called apostles, this isn't new either to Scripture. Um, and they found them, what, to be false. And uh, in 2 John, again, we're assuming uh, that John wrote uh, Revelation, and he wrote uh, a few letters as well. And uh, he is writing uh, in 2 John to a church and to uh, dear elect lady and children, and, and this church meets in her home. And he says, in, uh, I'll start in verse uh, 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now listen, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They don't, they don't believe in his humanity. Such as one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Now there's a, there's a revelation word, isn't it? Look, these false teachers are a type of Antichrist. And so here we've got this early church. They're, they're known for their works, their toil, their patient endurance. They don't tolerate these, this evil group of Nicolaitans, Gnosticism. Uh, they've tested these so-called apostles. People come in and they say, hey, look, we've got a word from the Lord. And they go, ah, sit down for a minute. Let's see who you are. Well, I want to tell you what Paul really meant. Remember in Galatians, 
Paul says, who, who fooled you? Who came in and said, don't believe? Paul didn't tell you the whole story. No, the Ephesian church tested this out. They claimed them to be false. No, you don't, you don't, get, you don't get to speak here. How do we do this today? If this still exists, how do we face it? You can just turn one page back, or you can just listen. The book of Jude. And Jude says in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. In fact, the Greek gives the idea of they came in the side door. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license, uh, uh, grace of God into sensuality, the NIV, a license for sensuality, and deny our own master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, he goes on there and he says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved uh, people from the land of Egypt afterward destroyed them. And so he goes through and he gives a bunch of historical backgrounds of people who deceive. And so today, how do we, how do we test these things? Well, first of all, you got to know the truth. If you want to know what's false, you better be able to defend and understand the gospel. He said, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Yeah. Isn't that the job of the elders? Yeah. But you too should be able to discern and listen and examine. We need to have some good theology. It's just a study of God. We need to understand, right? He said, I was very eager to, to write to you about the salvation we share. I was going to remind you about the gospel. You should know that, okay? But he, he says that certain people have slipped in and they're, they're denying Jesus Christ. There's been a common theme. We read that in 2 John. and like People are denying who Jesus is. If you want to mess up the gospel, start with Jesus. You should know your Bible. He says, in, he says there in verse 5, I want to remind you of stuff that happened in the Old Testament. Oh, we're supposed to read that part too? Yes. It's like a major part of the Bible. Man, I got to tell you, taught Old Testament this semester, Corbin, young people are struggling. Man. We have a generation that really has no idea what's going on in two-thirds of the Bible. you got to know your Bible. And one of the keys that keeps coming through is you need to know love. You say, Dave, where are you getting that from? What, where, did, where did John start? He says, I want to remind you of this great commandment. And then there's people coming in. I want, I want to... Paul, I want to remind you to, to care for the people in your, 
in your flock because there's bad people coming in. And Jude, he says, I want to remind you, these people are, are slipping in the, the side door. And so I, I want to remind you that these, what these people are like, he says in verses 12 through 14, these people are hidden reefs at your love feasts. Now, I know that that's a bad, some of you are going, I don't understand. Wait, Bob, just help us out. A, a, a hidden reef is a bad thing for a boat, is it not? Yeah, not, it's not good. Okay? These people are like a hidden reef when you're having your fellowship meals. They're about ready to shipwreck you. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds. We don't have those in Oregon. <laughs> Swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves in the sea, casting up foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of the utter darkness has been reserved for them. Look, these people do not have a great description. At the heart of them, they are loveless. If you want to know how to identify somebody who is wrecking a church, they will be known by their lack of love. The church, they're known for their works, their toil, their patient endurance. They don't tolerate those who are evil. They've tested the so-called apostles. They have found them to be false. They persevered. They kept going. Um, Picking this back up, I know, verse 3, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. They're enduring hardships. That's the idea of, of this picture here. He's just saying it in just a few, few words, bearing up for my name's sake. What does it mean? You're, you're standing up in the midst of persecution and trouble for the name of Jesus. And not only that, but you're not even getting tired of it. Man, what a beautiful description of a church. In fact, we could categorize these strengths in two areas. Their deeds, what they did, and their theology, what they believed. They were doing great in both of them. We talk about orthodoxy and orthopraxy. They are doing it. In fact, I mean, pretty good report card. Um, some of my students would take this right now if they could. Nine good, one bad. My class, that's a 90%. You get an A minus. Okay? So here it is. Here's the one weakness. Let's just, let's just read it again. He says, verse 4, but I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. Now, what's the love they had at first? Now, the easy answer, right? What, who is it they're not loving enough? The easy answer is Jesus, right? You guys remember the story of the little boy who came up and was part of the pastor's illustration? And the pastor said to the little boy now, who stores up nuts for the winter and trees, has a bushy tail and stores up nuts for the winter? And the little boy says, oh, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. 
It's a little more complex than that. It's clear from the context that what, Paul, that what John is saying, uh, what Jesus is saying to us, is the reality is it's the great commandment. Love God. Love people. In fact, in Ephesians, I'll just turn there just real quick. When Paul's addressing this Ephesian church earlier on, um, he says of them, Ephesians chapter 1, I have the wrong, for this reason, verse 15, I'm sorry, I have a wrong number on my notes there, 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. Now, remember, the church in Ephesus does not have a Facebook page. They're not on Twitter. There's no TV Timothy, if he's the pastor at this time, doesn't have a radio show. How in the world is Paul hearing about how the Ephesian church is loving Jesus and loving other people? Isn't that amazing? Their reputation is carrying. Love will do that. And so what's being addressed here is that slipping. Boy, how do you do church without love? Timothy Keller wrote, Every sin is a king of practical atheism. It's acting as if God were not there. Like anytime we, we sin, what we're kind of saying is eh, that God's not really. He's not watching. He doesn't know this. He doesn't know what I'm thinking. He doesn't know what I'm saying. I'm hiding. It's like you're saying you're kind of an atheist. How do we start this letter? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the churches. He knows. He knows what's being said. He knows what's being done. He knows the motivation behind it. He knows the heart behind it. Man, I can't get away with anything. I remember one time when I was a kid, uh, my mom and I were button heads, had something to do with chores I was supposed to be doing. And so I was sent to the sink, remember this, those of you who are older, to wash the dishes by hand. And I was there, and I had a bad attitude about it, and I made a face. My back turned to my mom. Nope. She said, you wipe that off your face. How did she know? Dark as night sitting in front of the kitchen window. You know, Jesus sees the attitudes in our hearts. Jesus sees what's pushing us, motivating us. We're not hiding anything from him. So the call here, 
he says now in verse 5. Here's, here's what you need to do. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What's he saying? Remember from where you've fallen. Let me just put it in a, in a marriage context. I saw just this video just this morning. Uh, older man. Uh, he, was, he must have been in his you know, 80s or 90s. And his kids had taken an old photo uh, of his wife uh, who had passed. And it was you know, when they were kids. And somehow, I don't, in technology today, they, they animated this old photo. And in the photo, she, she turns and looks up at him. And he just started to weep. Why? Because he remembered that love that they had probably when they were 18, 19, 20. Some of you go, that's a long time ago. Remember what it was like? Guys, remember? Remember when we had to dial the phone? And hope her dad didn't answer? Remember what your heart was pounding when you pulled up to our house? You remember looking through your closet about what you were going to wear? You remember that feeling? Do you remember when you first came to Jesus? Do you remember when you first realized that he loved you enough to die for you? Do you remember when you, you just wanted the whole world to know Remember what it was like when you weren't just going through the motions? Remember that? And then he says, repent. Now, man, that's a strong word. Just gave us nine things. Can it be remember and do a little bit better? No. Oh. He says, repent. Now, repent can mean to change one's mind. It's a heartfelt conviction of sin. But it also means to turn from your sin. It means to do something different. Okay, some of you have been in those relationships. Somebody says they're sorry, but they just keep doing it over and over again. That's not repentance. Repentance means to say, man, I blew it, and I need to make some changes. And we, what do we do with this idea? What is, how does the church in Ephesus repent? By the way, he's going to repeat this several times. So at some point, we, we need to try to get some sort of handle on it. Um, there's a lot of actual references to repentance in the Bible. I mean, I hope you know that. But corporate repentance as well. In Daniel chapter 9, which we've already seen that Daniel chapter 10 was clearly in um, John's mind is in, in, in this revelation here uh, in the verses that we just read. So there's no reason to think that John 9 isn't also being considered here, or Daniel 9. In Daniel 9, uh, starting verse 3, he says, Then I, um, well, let me just start at the beginning. It says, When I first year of 
Darius, the son of uh, Alphaeus' uh, descendants, Mede, who made king over the, the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation. He said, hey, we're getting to the end of this, uh, this time that we're in exile. So here's what Dan, we're getting to the end. We're almost out of this prison. And so here's what Daniel did. He says, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting in sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, or our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Man, he repents. Here's the amazing thing about this to me. Daniel is one of the few characters in the Bible that we're never told of any of his weaknesses. I mean, the great Moses murdered somebody. King David also murder and adultery. Here's Daniel. Nothing ever negative. And you, if Daniel could be sitting there and going, well, I don't have to repent. I didn't do anything to get myself here. Notice that, not only that, he's talking about his parents and his grandparents' sin. Oh, God, forgive us. So he says, remember, remember how things used to be. Repent of where you're at. And then he says, remember, therefore, where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. In other words, return. Hey, got another R out of there. Hey, go back to doing it. Go back to doing what was right. Now look, just he's not talking about programs. He's talking about heart. He's talking about loving God and loving people. Then he has some conclusion. If not, I will come to you. And remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, uh, you hate the Nicolaitans, uh, the Nicolaitans. Verse 7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. So he's got two options here. Let's start with the better. You can listen, open up your ear and listen. Now, just so you know, in the Bible, listen also means do something, okay? You know, it doesn't mean I heard you. It means I heard you and my feet are moving, okay? Now, I've said this before, and I'm sorry, parents. I know I'm old, but I just, I hate the one, two, three thing in parenting. Little Johnny, come here. Johnny? Okay, one, two, some parents pull out the two and a half. That ain't. Look, here's my thing. 
Johnny can do everything on the first one that he can do on the last one. Sorry. And if Johnny come here is because a bus is coming, one, two, three is not going to help you. So when Jesus says, listen, he's not going one, two. He's saying, listen now and move your feet. And in that, you will be what is in the book of Revelation, those who are called conquerors. And I'm just telling you, okay, I'm a little bit further along in this study than you are. You're only in chapter 2, but you want to be one of the conquerors. Okay? This is the good group. And notice what the conquerors get. Here it is. To those who conquer... I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Oh, what a beautiful picture. There's two trees in the garden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Adam and Eve choose to define good and evil on their own, and they eat from the tree that they were told not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God casts them out of the garden, and he guards the tree of life with an angel with a flaming sword, so that they don't come back and eat from the tree of life in their sinfulness and be eternally damned. You cannot eat from the tree of life until you know about the tree in which Jesus shed his blood for you. There's another tree of life in the Bible, and it's the cross. And when we come to Jesus at the cross, when we repent of our sin, When we receive the gift of God, we are granted to eat of the tree of life, which we'll see in the last two chapters, that's in the garden, the city of the new kingdom. But you have another option. Some of you like your options. Okay. Well, what's my other option? Well, you can not listen, uh, which means that you will not conquer You will not eat from the tree of life. And Jesus will remove the church. Nine things the church did well. One, they were not doing. They were not really loving God fully. They were not loving one another. And Jesus says... In God's economy, there's a different kind of math. It was the title of the sermon. I don't know if you caught it. Some of you engineers probably had to put the answer in there. But you were wrong. Nine minus one in God's economy equals zero. You can do all these works right, but if you don't love God and love other people, no church. I'll remove it. So let me close with this. What does it look like for us to love? Just listen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not, have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As a church, are we known for our love of Christ and one another? When people who have interacted with Hillsborough First Baptist Church, would they say, you know, man, that church, they're kind of odd. A lot of older people in there, but you know what? They sure do love other people. Is that what they'd say? And if you, you're sitting there going, you know what, Dave? I think, yeah, that's, I think it's yes. Then my, my next question to all of us is, as a church, how is our love shown to one another? What's, what, what actions and things that are we doing that are showing love to one another? As a church, what are we willing to sacrifice? And you say, what does that have to do with love? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. That's a form of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's sacrificial. Nine minus one in God's economy equals zero. You can't do church without loving God and loving one another. And if you try, Jesus will close the church down. Let's pray. Father, these uh, seven churches, seven challenging things, we have to look inwardly, we have to put a mirror in front of ourselves, in front of our church. And God, we need to do more than listen. We need to respond. And I've tried to tread on this lightly and allow God's word to speak for itself this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would minister in our hearts. That you would reveal to us places where we can be encouraged this morning. And maybe places where we need to repent. And God, if there's a place for that, that we would be faithful to do it. God, we recognize your great love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May we love people sacrificially. Even giving up some of our own interests and comforts. That we might be effective in the world in which we live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.